Pastor Craig. Dr. Dr. Pastor Craig. Yeah, that, on on some of those nailed it or failed it, I I mean, not only did I get it, did I get it wrong, I got it way wrong. I mean, when she's slapping the guy, wow. I mean, a simple no would be okay. I, I think I, yeah, right. I think if you just tell him no, he understands that. But wow, that was amazing. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. That's uh, makes me very thankful. My wife said yes. I, I, I found. I found the one girl that would say yes to me, and I hung on to her like grim death. I mean, I did did not let her go. So, my uh, when my when my two youngest were preschool age, which is a long time ago now. My my son actually had his birthday yesterday. Uh, my my youngest son, he's 23 now. But when, when they, but when they were preschool age, my wife played hide and seek with them, and it was a fun game. Um, made more fun by the fact that my two youngest at the time were such lousy hiders, okay? Um, so they love to hide in plain view. You, you've had small kids, you know this. They, they love to get caught. They giggled when you got near them. They hid in the same spots over and over again, you know? So if, you know, if that's a good spot, I'll hide there next time. Um, yeah. And of course, they wanted all the lights on when they played too, which is, you know, that doesn't help either. Basically, every rule that made a good hider, they violated. Which was okay. It's just a game of hide and seek. Um, unfortunately, all of us are experienced hiders. And I'm not talking about hide and seek as a game. Um, men are natural hiders. It's something we inherited from our parents a long time ago. Um, Adam and Eve, Genesis 3. Like them, we like to hide, we like to blame shift, we like to excuse, we like to cover our sin. We're excellent hiders. That is not to our credit, though. Um, God wants his people to be characterized by an open and frank admission of sin in their lives, but we like to hide. So this tendency of ours is especially prominent with sexual sins, but not just sexual sins. Um, so you think pornography, adultery, masturbation, things like that. Those are sins that are done in the dark figuratively and often literally. No Christian husband brags about his budding relationship with a female coworker. Um, no Christian husband looks at internet porn in his living room with his wife and children around. Those are sins that they try to hide. And our ability to hide does us no favors in our relationship with God. So what does God want from us? He wants us to walk in the light. Um, what that means is having nothing to hide. And, and I think about this because you know, I, I did uh, the, the most uh, specific, the type of counseling that I did most of when I was a pastor um, was was marriage counseling. Um, maybe some people deal more with people who are depressed or or suffering or things like that. But the most I did was was marriage counseling, and in in some cases, one spouse, typically the wife, is coming to to talk to me, and my, the husband won't come, or maybe he's even left the house, moved away, um, and I'll ask him sometime. So you know, were there any red flags? Did you see anything? And, and you know what? More and more. Um, uh, came up was this. Well, you know, um, he'd never let me look at his phone. That's a weird thing to say. I mean, it, it was true. He wouldn't let you look at his phone. What, what, what do you have on your phone that you're embarrassed if your wife sees it? Um, if your pastor could see how you treat that female coworker, 
would he know instantly that your relationship with her is not right? That even if it's not physical yet, there's some type of emotional attachment there that you shouldn't have. We need to walk in the light. We need to humbly admit our sin. And I think 1 John 1, 5 through chapter 2, verse 2 is, is this great passage that helps us um, helps us have a be characterized by an honest admission of our sin. Um, so I mentioned in the last hour that, that we need to own our sin. I think that's what growing Christians do, that they, they confess it, they don't hide it anymore. So I'm going to be in 1 John 1, um, verse 5. And I, I'm going to tell you that the first reason why you have to humbly admit your sin is because God's essence is light. That's what verse 5 says, God's essence is light. This then is the message that we've heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Now what does it mean that God is light? It, it obviously means that he's holy, he's not wicked. There are no dark corners to God's character. Um, there's no darkness in him. You, you and I are full of darkness. We're not characterized by light as God is. In fact, it tells us that when we're unsaved, we prefer darkness to light, right? John 3.19 and this is the condemnation that light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. The fact that God is light is the same as stating that he's holy or pure, like Habakkuk 1.13, thou art of pure eyes, and to behold evil, and canst not look on iniquity. That's talking about God. So God's holiness, uh, the fact that he's light, is his complete separation from sin. He, he separates he's separate from all that is unclean or evil. You know, all of us can feel better about ourselves when we compare ourselves to others. Of course, you know, we, we only compare where, where we think we look good. All of us actually are born politicians. We hate that about politicians, but all of us are born politicians, right? We highlight our strengths while downplaying the strengths of others. I look at one sliver of my character and I compare it to the worst sliver of your character, and you do the same. But in comparison to the absolute standard of God's perfect holiness, I'm in trouble. God does not grade on a curve. His standard is absolute. He is light. I attended a small Christian school, and my first semester in college, I was at a secular university in Green Bay there, and where I grew up. And uh, I, I took this large macroeconomics class as a freshman class, so there's over 100 of us in there, probably, probably several hundred in that class. And the, the teacher, when he got you know, we got done with the midterm. He showed us uh, uh, the, the uh, um, bell curve of the grades. And I, I guess I've heard of that before, but, you know, in a tiny Christian school, there weren't really enough people to end up with a bell curve. And so, so it was really kind of interesting. So, you know, he shows, this, he shows this bell curve, and, you know, most of the grades are in the center here. You get your, your C's and probably your B's. And then you've got some a little smaller sliver over here that are A's and a little smaller sliver over here that are F's. And then on one of them, I mean, he had a dot for each student. You know, we don't, we don't know who is who, but he has one dot that's like past F. It's like way, way down. I don't, if there was, you know, it'd be a Z if they did letters like that, okay? It was way, way down there. And I remember him saying, um, he said, you know, if I was this person, of course, none of us know who this is, okay? That person knows who they are, but none of us knows who this is. He says, if I was this person, he said, I'd be concerned because a monkey could have gotten this score on the test. <laughs> and I was like, ow, ouch. It's really good. And you know what? We all laughed. You know why? Because it wasn't us. <laughs> and so we could compare ourselves to that and feel pretty good. I mean, even if you're if you're the F student, you're like, at least I don't have that that grade. I mean, at least I'm a respectable flunk. 
all of us, all of us can feel better when we compare ourselves to others, but God does not grade on the curve. He's light. And you can't have fellowship with him and live in the shadows. So what he tells us in this passage over and over again is come out into the light. Come out into the light. One, one commentator pointed out that religious bumper stickers often say something like God is love. And, and I've, I've never seen one that says God is light, though, even though this book of 1 John, where it does say God is love, it also says God is light. Why? Because in the world's twisted thinking, they think that, that a loving God overlooks their sins. That's why, they, that's why they love the fact that God loves us. Obviously, God is love, and his love led him to giving his son on the cross for our sins. His love was costly. God's love doesn't mean the same thing as God doesn't care what you do. That's what the world thinks. They want to believe that a loving God makes no demands on their lives and lets them live for any idol they choose. But the reason why you don't see God as light is because that's not a comfortable message on a bumper sticker. That message means that the closer I get to God, the more my darkness is exposed. It means that I can't hide anything from him. It means that he sees me. In a previous house when we lived in uh, Denver, we had a kind of an L-shaped room under the stairs that or went under the stairs in the basement that was where that was our laundry room and it had a single like 60 watt bulb in the center of the room and it was it was behind you when you were working at the washer or the dryer and so uh, one you know day off I went and got um, two um, fluorescent um, um, bulbs with the long you know the the three foot long tube lights and I put you know so you get two that way and two this way well basically like these are and I had two you know so they so they they were perpendicular to each other. And um, so, I mean, it went from a 60-watt bulb to looking like the surface of the sun in there. I mean, it was that, it was that bright. It, you know, it was, it was our utility room. It had a water heater in there and everything. And so I'm kind of, you know, I'm kind of feeling pretty good about my, my home maintenance prowess here. And so I bring my wife down, flip the switch, say, hey, what do you think? And she looks around the room and she says, well, I'm going to have to clean better in here. And it was funny to me because that, that, that is what light does, right? It exposes things. Suddenly, you know, all those little dust balls that we were both able to ignore, you can't ignore. Um, light exposes. God is light is not a bumper sticker saying because it makes us uncomfortable. It means that God will expose the darkness in my life. My sin can't be hid from God. So you and I need to get better and better at admitting our sin because God is light. God isn't fooled by your sin. You can't hide it from him. You must walk in the light. Don't have anything to hide. So that's the first reason, because God's essence is light. The second reason you have to own your sin, you have to be honest about who you are, you have to be vulnerable, you have to be transparent, is because our sin separates us from God. Our sin separates us from God. And we see that in verses 6, 8, and 10. It's kind of neat how this passage plays out where every other verse um, is, has the same thought, and we'll see that again here in a minute. But there are three wrong attitudes that we can have towards our sin according to this passage. And the first one is that my sin doesn't matter. That's that's verse 6, that we lie if we believe that our sin doesn't matter. We're lying. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. So the, the idea is that we sin continually and don't confess it. This person claims to know God, but but treats sin and the need for maintaining holiness lightly, as if it's no big deal. Did you know that a person may claim fellowship with God when there is no fellowship with God. The, the person who makes this claim is a liar and doesn't practice the truth. That's what John tells us here. Sin destroys fellowship. Your hiding is not harmless. It hurts your intimacy with God. 
It actually hurts your marriage. Sin is a big problem. That's what he's telling us here. Then he tells us, I don't sin, and that is us deceiving ourselves. We deceive ourselves, verse 8. I don't sin, we deceive ourselves. That's the second attitude. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So this person is claiming that he doesn't sin. No. So it's possible that maybe he thinks he's reached a superior state of Christian maturity where he's free from sin. That's possible. Maybe he's intellectually argued sin out of existence. But more likely is it, if this attitude characterizes a Christian, and John is writing to Christians here, it's shown by our practice, not by our words. In other words, they may agree in general that they sin, but they never confess any sin in specific. See, that's the deceptiveness of sin. We agree that we're sinners in general, but we never confess anything in specific. So, husbands, have you ever said these words to your wife? Honey, I sinned when I, you fill in the blank, I was wrong. Will you forgive me? And if that's not part of the pattern in your marriage or words like that, why not? Dad, have you ever said those words to your child? You cannot be a godly person and refuse to admit your sin. It's not possible. That's what this passage is telling us. Do you see, see what those two scenarios that I, that I sketched out have in common? You have a man who agrees that he's a sinner but he never actually admits any specific sin to those around him. Something's wrong. He's not walking in the light. In contrast to the person in verse 6 who's lying, this person is deceived. And if you by practice act as if you've never sinned or you don't sin, you're deceived. So I, I don't know what would happen, but if I were to ask the average teenager at Southeast Baptist Tabernacle if his or her dad had ever asked them for forgiveness for sinning against them, what would they say? See, my, my informal survey of college students leads me to believe that that is far too rare. That there are 18-year-old kids. I, I have a freshman class of, uh, of uh, about 120 kids um, at college this year, most of them from Christian families, by, by far the vast majority of them. And there are 18-year-old kids in that class that have never heard their Christian dad admit his sin to them and ask for forgiveness. Why? I mean, do you honestly think you can go 18 years and never sin against your kid? There were times in my life I couldn't go 18 minutes. We have a lot of dads that won't humbly admit their sin. And it's tragic. You're telling your family that you don't sin. You're not walking in the light. Maybe your kids are grown, like mine are. You know, we have these devices called phones where you can call them and you can admit you know what? There were ways that I raised you and I was too proud to admit I was wrong. And that was sin. Will you forgive me? You can do that. Sometimes we have this weird idea that if we admit we're wrong, people won't respect us. And, and first of all, I would say, why is respect such an idol in your life? I mean, wh wh why, why do you need to have respect? And secondly, I would ask you, do you respect people that don't admit they're wrong? Not one of us does. You've had a boss in your lifetime probably who wouldn't ever admit they were wrong. Did you say, man, I, I, I so respect that man. I just want to be so much like him. No. You didn't like that person, right? That's not an admirable quality in a person. So it's possible, according to John here, to believe everything is okay between you and God when it's not. 
when it's not. There's a third attitude you can have here, and that is that I've never sinned, and in that case, we make God a liar. And these points come you know, directly out of these verses. This isn't, you, you, you can see this here. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. So this person is not called a liar. This person is not deceived, which is what the first two were. This is the most serious error, because this person is essentially calling God a liar. God has clearly stated that every man is a sinner, Romans 3.10 and 23. Believing my sin is not that serious distorts God's character. So all Christians can end up with an attitude like this. We might not say that we've never sinned, but by minimizing our sin, by not seeing it in specific in our lives, we ultimately believe that God seems to say a lot about sin in the Bible, and it's not very relevant to us. I mean, I just don't sin that much. Why is God always talking about sin in Scripture? In that case, we've made God a liar. A Christian could have an attitude like this. Some Christians can sit through sermon after sermon after sermon and know exactly how it applies to someone else, but they're not convicted. They're not touched by the Bible's truth. They don't apply God's truth to their own lives. If you were to ask them if they're a sinner, they would say yes. But for all practical purposes, they haven't believed that for a long time. Nothing in God's word seems to penetrate their hardened hearts. They sit week after week, and the only emotion they feel is boredom. No truth seems to convict them. No truth seems to change them. If I'm walking in the light, I won't be denying my sin. So it's, it's possible to believe that you don't need the gospel when you do. All three of those attitudes in 1 John 1 involve a light or flippant view of sin. But sin is always a barrier to fellowship with God. It's not just John, the, uh, John who says this. Psalm 66, 18, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. It doesn't say the Lord will wink at it. The Lord will say, ah, it's no big deal. It says the Lord will not hear me. Isaiah 59, 1 and 2, behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither is his ear heavy that it cannot hear, but your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. That is such an interesting passage to me, because what Israel was doing was they were saying, you know what, God's not listening to us anymore. It must be God's fault. It must be that he can't hear anymore. He's gotten deaf. It must be that he's, he's not omnipotent. He's not as strong as he used to be. And God says, that's not the issue. The issue is your sin. Your sin separates you from fellowship with me. We guys have a specific verse in 1 Peter 3, 7, right? That tells us that husbands... If we don't live with our wives according to knowledge, if we sin against them, it says our prayers will be hindered. I mean, it specifically said that about husbands, that, that our fellowship can be affected by our sin. When, when you and I have a light view of our sin, we kind of make a mockery of the gospel. We live as if our situation wasn't that desperate, as if we really didn't need Christ's sacrifice. We're saying that God deceived us about ourselves and he's become the deceiver. We make God a liar, John the Apostle says. But when we have a realistic view of our sin, we're continually marveling at God's grace through Christ's death. We see our desperate struggle with sin, and we know that only Christ's death could make us righteous before God. So maybe you're not that impressed with the gospel because you're not that aware of your sin. The final reason that you must humbly admit your sin, why you must own your sin, is because maintaining fellowship is our responsibility. Maintaining fellowship is our responsibility. And this is where we see the, the, the opposite verses 1, 7, verse 9, and then chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. So, so what are your responsibilities? And this is where it gets, John gets very practical here. Our first responsibility is we must live in the light. 
verses 6 and 7, we must live in the light. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ his Son cleanses us from all sin. I can hardly quote that verse without thinking of that child, you know, that, that Sunday school song that I sang as a kid. That it just it comes to my mind. This great passage of walking in the light. What does walking in the light mean? What characterizes the Christian that is walking in the light? Well, light reveals hidden corners. Light exposes dark places. One person said this. What will be true of the individual if God is actually the light of his life? Obviously, the light of God will be doing for him what light does. For one thing, the light will be exposing the darkness so that the dark places are increasingly cleansed of sin and become bright and fruitful places for God's blessing. This does not mean that the individual will become increasingly conscious of how good he or she is becoming. On the contrary, a growth in holiness will mean a growth in a true sensitivity to sin in one's life and an intense desire to eliminate from life all that displeases God. Instead of boasting in his progress, the person will be increasingly ready to acknowledge sin and seek to have it eliminated. Walking in the light is having nothing, nothing to conceal and making no attempt to conceal anything. It's being open to having your sin exposed. Um, years ago when I had a desktop computer, remember when people had desktop computers? <laughs> I had a desktop computer and uh, I needed to, I don't know if I was moving it or something, but I needed to plug it in underneath the desk. Our, we had a home office. And so the lights are on, the, the, the you know, shades are open. I have all this light flooding the room. And I get under the desk, and just because of the way the desk was situated, I could not see to plug in this computer. So I'm like, you know, you're, you're jamming and you're hitting the wall. And so I, 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 I don't know what I, I can't remember if I got a flashlight or something like that. So I, get, I mean, it's in the middle of the day and I couldn't see under there. So if you had walked into that room, you would have said, man, the lights are in this room. I can see everything. But, but you know what was in that room? There were still some dark corners. That's what there were. And under the desk was one of those, okay? What, what John is telling us here is we're not supposed to live that way. We're not supposed to live with dark corners in our life where it looks like we're walking in the light, but we have these dark corners. Do you remember when your kids were preschoolers or young elementary students? Some of you are probably still in that stage where your kids are preschoolers or young elementary students. Your family did not have any secrets then. Now, you might not have known that, but you didn't have secrets because your kids spilled them all, okay? They told their Sunday school teachers and school teachers about all the goings on at your house. Um, they were probably actually providing a vital service for your family. They were helping you walk in the light. <laughs> When, when my wife and I, when my wife and I first um, were in ministry together, um, I, I, uh, we, we did junior church for our church every other month on every other month basis, and so I, we, we loved it. One of the things we would do is we'd take prayer requests during junior oh. church, and I, I mean prayer requests with 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 junior age kids is just awesome, and so I think it was like first through sixth grade, um, so you got a span of ages there, um, but I remember I remember two prayer requests specifically, and it's been like 20 years, okay? Um, but, but one of them was, one time one of the kids said, prayer, uh, pray for my dog, he's flying in from California. And I was like, that, really? What? So I, I asked the mom later, and they said, yeah, we, well, we, we, we live in North Carolina at the time. Yeah, we, we bought a dog from, Carol, from, from California, and he's flying here today. I was like, yeah, okay, I guess the prayer request was legit. <laughs> I mean, I wasn't even flying at that time, and apparently this family could afford to fly their dog. So <laughs> just really. And then another one was, the second one that I remember very clearly, was a kid said, um, pray for my grandpa, he bit a nurse. I was like, he bit a nurse? And I, 
this mom actually happened to be in the background um, of, of the room, and I looked at her and she goes, <laughs> so apparently, Grandpa was at a was at a nursing home, and he and he bit a nurse, and uh, so I, that was a, apparently a family secret that I and everyone else got in on. Um, you know, it, when your kids are preschoolers, and and you you kind of find out, hey man, they're, they're sharing some of these tales with other people, you, you kind of wish there was some way to keep them quiet, right? Like, uh, you know, some of their stories can be kind of embarrassing. I mean. The truth is, preschoolers don't give context to their story, which we would actually like them to do. Um, but, but have you ever thought about this? That maybe that response was kind of fundamentally flawed. See, this passage encourages us to walk in the light. So, so the answer is not, how can I shut up my kids somehow, okay? Um, the answer is, you and I becoming different parents. So when your preschooler tells the neighbor, you know, daddy yelled at the lady at Walmart yesterday, um, the answer isn't keeping your kids from the neighbors. The answer is walking in the light, humbly admitting your sin and seeking God's mercy to change. Walking in the light, according to 1 John, results in fellowship with other Christians. That, that, that's amazing here. Um, but if we walk in the light as he's in the light, we have fellowship one with another. We would actually expect it to tell us if we walk in the light as he's in the light, we have fellowship with him. But he actually says here that that if we walk in the light as he's in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And that's how this impacts your marriage. You see, keeping secrets from each other keeps you from having the marriage that God wants you to have. Hiding and concealing damage your relationship with your wife. See, our, our world actually thinks that hiding helps your relationship, don't they? I mean, they'll go so far as to say, hey, adultery, it, it, you know, it's not a problem as long as your wife never finds out or, or if you have it in your past, just never tell her about it. You know, you wouldn't want her to be hurt after all. So, so don't, don't mention it. They'll, they'll, they'll go that far to tell us to, to hide things. But that's not what God says. John says that fellowship comes from increased honesty with each other, having nothing to hide, walking in the light, no secrets. You see, hiding is a step away from intimacy with your spouse. Having secrets moves you away from each other. Being honest, walking in the light leads to greater intimacy and sharing in marriage. Occasionally in marriage counseling, I will um, uh, 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 counsel at, for marriage counseling, just the wife, because she's the only one who's showing up. And I, I do it in an appropriate way. My office has a, um, has a a window in the door, and I always have my door actually cracked open so that anybody going by can hear our conversation. Um, my wife is aware of that. Often, sometimes my wife is there with me. Um, but but if, it's, if it's just me counseling this, this wife, sometimes they'll say something like this. Now, don't tell my husband this. And you know what I do in that situation? I say, whoa, whoa, whoa. That, that's not the agreement we're making here, okay? Um, and, and sometimes they'll say it after they tell me a story. Now, they'll tell me the story, they'll say, now don't tell my husband that. I'll say, no, 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 no. You should have led with that, okay? If that's what you wanted me not to tell your husband, then you should have led with that, and I would have told you, don't tell it to me. You see, because actually having a secret creates a bond of intimacy there that is not appropriate for me with someone else's wife. That's something that her and I would have that her husband wouldn't know about. And it may seem like a small thing, but 
it often gives me an opportunity to confront her and say, what's going on here? Do you have secrets with other people? See, hiding and having secrets with other people and not being transparent leads you away from intimacy with your spouse. When relationships are ruptured by sin, a Christian man seeks forgiveness, he admits his sin, that heals relationship, restores fellowship. When I don't walk in the light, I'm not interested in revealing what's going on in my heart. I'm covering. And I avoid situations where I might have to reveal myself. I'm scared that people will know me. When my adult Sunday school teacher asks a question that calls for honest evaluation, I'm either not going to answer, or I'm going to give an acceptable answer that makes me look like I'm honest, but doesn't really accurately portray the depths of my struggle with sin. Living in the shadows affects my fellowship with people around me, with other believers. One of the characteristics of Christian men involved in sexual sin is that they don't have any close male relationships. That's, that's not a cause. That's a symptom of their sin. They don't want anyone to know them. They live in the shadows. They hide. When I'm walking in the light, I enjoy being with Christians. And I enjoy being with them even if the topic is my sin. Walking in the light results in continual cleansing from sin. Walking in the light allows God to purify us from whatever sin would mar our fellowship with him or with each other. So would the people that know you best, your spouse, your children, your coworkers, would they say that you walk in the light? And if not, why not? So we must live in the light. That's, that's number one. Our second responsibility is we must regularly confess sin. Verse 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we must regularly confess sin. It's possible to be deceived about sin in our lives. It's possible to believe everything is okay when it's not okay. The Apostle John is addressing Christians, and he actually includes himself in this category of needing to confess sin. If we confess our sins, John includes himself. Sometimes the biblical New Testament authors do this. It's so interesting to see when they, when they include themselves in it. Um, so what is he saying? John is saying, I, John, need to be a Christian who regularly confesses and forsakes my sin. And if he did, so do you and I. Those are the Christians that receive cleansing and forgiveness. Um, forgiveness and cleansing here depend upon our willingness to confess our sin. Uh, so neither the confession nor the cleansing are one-time events in 1 John 1. This is, this is an attitude that we should have, not a checklist. So are you willing to confess and forsake sin when you are made aware of it? And honestly, most men are not good at this. We hide, we excuse, we blame shift, but we don't confess and admit. The principle that forgiveness and cleansing depend upon our willingness to confess our sins is a principle found in other places in Scripture. Psalm 32, 1, 1 through 5, remember this Psalm of David. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered, Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in his spirit there is no guile. When I kept silence, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned into the drought of summer, Selah. I acknowledge my sin unto thee, and mine iniquity I have not hid. I said I will confess my transgression to the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. It's this great psalm. This is just the first five verses of Psalm 32 where he says, he gives this blanket statement, man, happy is the guy whose who's transgression is forgiven. And then he gives his own personal testimony. You know what? For a while, I didn't confess my sin. And God's hand was heavy on me. He could feel the pressure. He could feel God working in his life. He was miserable. 
and then he confessed his sins, and God forgave them. Proverbs 28, 13, He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesses and forsaketh them shall have mercy. See, the word confess in 1 John 1, 9 means in this context to admit or to acknowledge your bad behavior. It's a compound word. Its literal meaning is to say the same thing. One, one person says this, Confession of sin on the part of the saint means to say the same thing that God does about that sin. To agree with God as to all the implication of that sin as it relates to the Christian who commits it and to a holy God against whom it is committed. This teaches that the constant attitude of the saint towards sin should be one of a contrite heart, ever eager to have any sin in the life discovered for him by the Holy Spirit, and ever eager to confess it and put it out of the life by the power of that same Holy Spirit. Would you say you're eager to confess sin? I don't know that eager is the word that describes my desire to confess sin. That's what should characterize us. What does confession look like in a Christian's life? How, how do we do this? So we can all agree that we need to confess our sin, but what does that look like? And so maybe an example would help. Let's say that you yelled at your wife during a discussion of the family finances. So what might you say in your confession to God? It, it, so it might sound something like this. Jesus, I admit that my response to my wife was wrong. I was not walking in the spirit. I was so frustrated with her purchases that I yelled at her. I sinned because I wasn't getting what I wanted. I was angry not because you were not being glorified in our lives, but because I thought she was making my life difficult. My anger was sinful because it was motivated by my lusts and fears and not your glory. My screaming was sinful because it didn't minister grace to my wife. Financial stability is something I worship. Help me to want to please you more than I want that. Now, maybe you're thinking, man, Craig, I've never said anything like that to God, okay? That, so that's an example of a very specific and a very biblical confession. I think it's something for us to shoot for. We all need to get better at this. In fact, with slight wording changes, that confession works well for confessing your sin to your wife also. Would the people that know you best, your spouse, your children, your friends, say that you're quick to admit your sin? If not, why not? There's nothing masculine, uh, well, there's, no, there's nothing spiritually mature, there's no spiritual masculinity in refusing to admit you're wrong. That's just not what we find in Scripture. David, Psalm 32, which we looked at, probably written about his sin with Bathsheba, like Psalm 51 was. And, and David's not saying, man, when I wouldn't admit my sin, what a man I was. That's not what he's saying. You want to be a godly man? Be someone who's quick to admit your sin, especially to the people that are closest to you, right? So we must live in the light. We must regularly confess sin. And our third responsibility is we must live obediently. We must live obediently. 1 John 2, 1 and 2, My little children, these things I write unto you, that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So, the, the Apostle John knew that our flesh would look at the wonderful promises contained here and be tempted to live like the devil. We, we'd be tempted to say, hey, after all, I can always get forgiveness. But what he's telling us here is that God's forgiveness should motivate us to live holy lives. Our advocate, which is what Christ is called here, doesn't deny our sins. 
He doesn't say, no, they didn't actually sin. He says, no, no, they sinned. He admits them, but then he says they're paid for by his death. Too many Christian men, too many college students, um, college guys, actually, um, one thing that's changed in this battle over the last 10 years is that it's probably 60-40 guys to girls maybe 55, 45, guys to girls dealing with pornography. In other words, it used to be almost exclusively something that we thought men struggled with. When I was in Bible college, you know, in order to look at pornography, you had to get a hold of some magazines somewhere, maybe you had to buy them somewhere, you had to hide them somewhere. And now every one of us have a pocket prostitute. We have something in our pocket right here that can give us access to all of that. And so girls have access to it too. My, my, my wife, as the assistant dean of women, um, you know, she, when she was in Bible college, which admittedly she just had a birthday, so it was a long time. No, I'm kidding. Um, um, when she was in Bible college, she would not have known another girl that struggled with pornography. And I, I'm not saying that all girls struggle with pornography, just like I'm not saying all guys do, but it's a much higher percentage than it ever was because it's so accessible. Struggling with pornography is fundamentally a problem of walking in darkness, not the light. So, so what does the guy hearing this session today who's also struggling with pornography think? And I, I, don't, I don't know, I hope no one here is struggling with that, but if you are, I, I know what you're tempted to think. You're tempted to think, I need to give this up, but I can do it on my own. I'd be too embarrassed to tell anyone and you'll never give it up. God has designed that particular sin, such, or, or allowed that particular sin such that until you get help, until it gets exposed, he won't be able to beat it. You see, you want to solve it the same way you got into it. How did you get into it? In the dark, without anyone knowing. And you want to get out of it in the dark, without anyone knowing. That's not how that happens. It's amazingly humbling for us it's exactly what we need. I've never seen a guy enmeshed in sexual sin who got right on his own. Part of the problem of sexual sin is hiding and covering. No believer engages in sexual sin, pornography, or adultery in view of others. It's a hidden sin. And that hiddenness is why you won't conquer it on your own. So you need the blow to your pride that asking for help provides. You must come out of the light and ask one of your pastors to help you. You won't change on your own. And the question is whether you want to get right bad enough to admit your sin. Because if you think you're the exception, you're not. It's hardwired into that sin that people don't change until it's out in the open. So come out into the light and find God's grace to help you with your shameful secret. The hiding is not the reason that you sin this way. The reason you sin that way is because you love sex more than you love Jesus. Until you love Jesus more than sex, you won't get right. The hiding is just a symptom. But it's what our passage talks about. So come out into the light. Now, that's... That's one example of a serious marriage-destroying sin that has to come out of the light. And I mentioned here, not because I know anything about anybody here, I don't. Um, but but I, I know in the average group of guys, there's somebody struggling with this. There's somebody struggling with this. That's one example. But the truth is, if you're not struggling with that sin in that way, you could go away from this thinking, well, I'm not struggling with hiding, but you may still be, because you may still struggle to admit you're wrong. You may still struggle to confess your sin. You may still struggle to actually ask for forgiveness. And, and in fact, there are less 
seemingly significant hiding that we do. For example, do you hide stuff from your spouse? You know, maybe you and your wife are on an eating plan, but that after work Big Mac sounds so good, right? <laughs> so you buy it on the way home, and what do you do? You throw that wrapper away in the you know garage garbage can where she's not going to see it, right? Now that might seem harmless, but it's really not. It's hiding. It's walking in darkness. And like I said, every time we choose to walk in darkness like that, we're moving away from intimacy with our spouse instead of moving towards them. And I, I know, you know, you say, well, hey, the, the after work Big Mac, that's, you know, I'm, I'm doing that to protect her. Uh, really? I'll bet it's more to protect you, okay? You don't want to deal with your spouse if they know. And, and granted, maybe, maybe when you tell your spouse things, maybe they respond sinfully. That happens. They may respond poorly over and over again. But you and I are called to walk in the light. Frankly, for some guys, you need wholesale change before you can do this. You and your spouse hide information from each other all the time. It's one of the pillars of your marriage, and it's wrong. I, I, I teach a class at college called the family class, and uh, I, so I have opportunities to, to it's for freshmen. It's a required class for freshmen. And so we talk about what does the scripture say about, about the family, biblical roles, about how you handle conflict, how you handle finances. We, we, we deal with forgiveness. Um, they love it when I talk about dating. Um, that's, they're all very interested in that class. They don't have no problem keeping their attention on that one. Um, um, but but one, one of the things we talk about is this idea of hiding stuff. And I will mention to them, hey, maybe some of you, your dad used to tell you, hey, don't tell your mom this. Or your mom used to say, hey, don't tell your dad this. And um, it, again, some of that can seem really, really harmless. Um, but you really got to ask yourself, what are you doing there? So now I'm, I'm including my child in my conspiracy to hide stuff from, their spouse, from my spouse. That's not a good look. That's not a good thing to do. Um, better for us to come out into the light. You and, I have to, you and I have to develop the trait of humbly admitting our sin, and growing Christians own their sin. So, some projects. Confess and forsake your sin regularly. I think these are on your sheet there. So, so confess even your dullness in recognizing the sin in your life. We need to be Christians that quickly confess our sin to God. So as the Holy Spirit convicts you over the next couple days, on Sunday in church, in your personal Bible reading during this week, then confess it. Say the same thing about it that God does. So maybe for you, walking in the light means this. It means that you deal with something in your past. It might be a sin that you've committed that you have never owned up to. It might be a situation that you know about that you've never confronted and still needs to be confronted. Some of you, you know, maybe you're thinking of something right now. I don't know what it is, but you do. It, it may be a, a situation where you actually need some wisdom from your pastors that, that they could help you navigate the steps you should take to get it right. Maybe you have something in your past that you have never actually talk to your spouse about, and you know, you know what, I need to do that. Your pastors, I'm sure, would be willing to help you navigate the wise way of doing that. If you're getting better at humbly admitting your sin to God, if you're owning your sin, then it follows that you'll be growing in your ability to admit it to those you've sinned against as well. So taking the next step for you might be owning your sin in your relationships and your family, at work and at church. Maybe what you need to do tonight is ask your wife for forgiveness. 
Maybe what you need to do t today is make a plan to talk to your kids. My wife and I have four children, and I parented the two younger ones far differently than I parented the two older ones. I, uh, with my two older ones, um, you know, I, I think spanking is biblical, but it seemed like that was the only tool in my arsenal. Like I had nothing else that I did. And, and not everything that a kid does is disobedience. Sometimes it's immaturity. And I didn't know that. Um, and I just wanted them to, you know, to get right and to quit inconveniencing me. And so I, I had to, when they were teenagers, go to them and ask their forgiveness. And thankfully, God has created children such that they, they, seem, to be, they seem to like forgiving their parents. I'm thankful for that. But I had, I, had, I had to ask them forgiveness for how I parented them, that I, my discipline was sometimes too severe. And, gra and graciously, they, they forgave me. Maybe, maybe that's something you need to do. Maybe that might be something that would actually help that relationship that you is maybe a little bit strained with your kids. I have some suggested resources there for you. The, the Paul Tripp book, Sex and Money, Pleasures That Leave You Empty and Grace That Satisfies is a good book. I've written a couple blogs there on, on this idea of, of hiding um, that may help you think about this differently as well. Um, so those are there. But you and I can walk in the light. We have to develop the trait of humbly admitting our sin. Growing Christians own their sin. If you're hiding stuff, if that's, if that's kind of what you and your wife do, you hide stuff from each other, that is, that is the opposite of what this passage is talking about. You need to have a relationship where you can be honest, where you should be honest with each other, even when it's uncomfortable. That's what pleases God. And First John says that that actually leads to greater fellowship, which is what you should want. Can I pray? Father, we thank you for your grace to us. It really is, Father, your grace when, when your spirit uses your word to kind of poke at us, Lord, and to help us see ourselves a little bit differently. <clears throat> to help us be a little bit more humble, help us to confess, to be honest a little bit more. And so I pray, Lord, that the, the guys here, that, that they would leave here with a renewed commitment to be honest about who they are, not just to you, God, but also to those around them, that they'd be willing to admit their sin, confess it, and forsake it. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you. Thank you.